turn in your Bibles to John 21. John chapter 21. Taking a look at the time and realizing we're short on time with the Lord's Supper. We will walk through quite a bit here. If I move too fast, just yell out, slow down. All right, John 21, we'll begin reading at verse 1. And before we read it and look at it, let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we look to you for the outpouring of your Holy Spirit, that he will illumine the very word he wrote, so that we as your people would be encouraged, brought to repentance, rebuked, whatever it is we need, chastised, and that any who don't know you would come to know you. These are miracles which take place, and so we ask that you would perform these things, all for the sake of your glory. In your Son's name we pray, amen. John chapter 21 at verse 1. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out, got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he bless it to our hearts and lives this morning. Beloved congregation of hope and everyone with us here uh, this morning, just a, a question to begin, have you ever been too weak or too small to do something which was entirely beyond your strength and ability to do, but you didn't realize it yet. So you had to learn the hard way. Uh, that's what the disciples are having to learn here. I can think of an instance where I was more a spectator in that world, somebody having to learn how weak uh, they were. We were wiring a Cherokee Trail High School in Aurora, Colorado, and uh, I was in the basement of the crawl space. It's like it's crawl space with 15 foot high ceilings. So a really tall crawl space. And in that basement, there was a set of concrete steps in numerous places. But this set of steps was maybe uh, brought you an elevation up like 10 feet, just a straight line of steps. And we had all this heavy wire. <laughs> we were the, the one line crew. We had to pull wire for all these big panels. And uh, we had to bring two massive reels of wire with two runs of copper on it each up those steps. 
So we laid the reels at the bottom of the steps, we put a pipe through the reel, and we attached ropes to each side of the pipe, joined them, and had a long rope that went up the steps beyond so we could have like tug of war with the, the big wire reel. Well, two guys on my crew were of the understanding that they could pull it up by themselves. It weighed about, I don't know, 1,200 pounds or so, 1,300 pounds. And so while they tried to muscle this thing up the steps, uh, didn't budget an inch, <laughs> I went upstairs to get about 10 or 12 more guys. And when I came down, the wire reel indeed had budged an inch, but now these two were totally out of breath. They, had, they were very discouraged and they were remind us of, reminded of just how weak they are. And so 12 or 15 of us got on the end of this spool now and slowly but surely one step at a time we pulled this reel and then the next reel up the steps. And that is a great portrait along with the disciples fishing of what Jesus is teaching his disciples. Without me, you can't do anything. <laughs> he said actually in John 15 verse five, that without me, you can do uh, nothing. He's driving home that lesson. John 15, five, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now, as we walk into this passage, I want us to bear uh, some things in mind because this would have been fresh in the minds of the disciples. We're at the Sea of Tiberias, also called the Sea of Galilee, also called the Sea or the Lake of Gennesaret. Previously, in this same location, on the same sea, in Luke chapter 5, before Jesus called the disciples, or as he was calling them, he told them, uh, after they had a night of no catch, uh, he said, let out into the deep your nets for a catch. And Peter explained to the Lord, look, master, we've toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I'll let down the nets. And they did, and there was so many fish that the nets were breaking, and they had to get another boat to come over here and haul the fish in. And Jesus said to them, to Simon, do not be afraid from now on, you will be catching men. It was a picture Jesus was giving his disciples that now you're going to be catching men from here on out, not just fishermen. And they followed him uh, from that day. Now, fast forward three years, and here we are. Jesus is resurrected from the dead. He's in his post-resurrection ministry before he ascends. And uh, his disciples uh, are in the same lake doing the same thing. And Jesus is going to use this as another opportunity to teach them something. The first was you're going to be fishers of men. The next thing is without me and your work and ministry, you actually can't accomplish anything. And if you take a look at verse 1 of John chapter 21, the verse we just read, we're told this. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And he revealed himself in this way twice that word is used. Now, John's giving us a rather big clue. We're going to learn something about Christ that the disciples had to learn the hard way over the course of an entire night, and that is vital for all Christian ministry. It's vital for the ministry of the church. And Jesus is revealing this to the disciples and to us by extension. And what is revealing is what I've already mentioned. Without Christ, we and all of our ministries as a church and as individual believers can do nothing. Now, I want us to notice three things. So all fruitful Christian ministry needs Jesus. First, I want us to notice the emptiness of ministry apart from Christ. Second, the fruitfulness of ministry and the power of Christ. And third, the fullness of ministry and service to Christ. So the emptiness, the fruitfulness, the fullness, here we go. First, the emptiness. Verse uh, two of John chapter 21, Jesus revealed himself 
We have seven disciples, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, and two others who were nameless were, with, uh, were together. Simon said, hey, let's go fishing. Okay, nothing inherently wrong with that. Uh, Simon says, let's go fishing. Everybody else agrees. So they get into uh, the boat, they go out and they fish all night and they catch nothing. Verse four, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. He said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. What's going on here? The disciples are in Galilee. They obey Jesus' command. Remember Matthew 28, 10, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers that they should go into Galilee and there they will see me. Well, now they're in the Sea of Galilee. They left Jerusalem. They're up north. They're on the southwest side of the sea, or the western side of the sea. Um, uh, the, the, uh, uh, well, we don't know where they are in the sea, but it's called the Sea of Tiberias. And the town of Tiberias is on the southwest side of the Sea of Galilee. So it's often called the Sea of Tiberias. So the disciples are waiting for Jesus there. Peter gets this idea, let's go fishing. Now, some have suggested that Peter was being defiant of the Lord here, saying that Peter, instead of going fishing for men, and Peter, instead of fulfilling the great commission and ministry, Peter was defiant. Again, I don't, I, 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 I don't think you can get that from this passage. There's nothing that John says about Peter here being defiant. And as yet, Peter hadn't even been restored. He, the last thing he knew, he had denied Jesus and was just seeing Jesus in his resurrected body, and Pentecost hadn't happened yet either. Others believe that Peter is being disobedient and not using his time well, and that he should have been spreading the gospel. Again, John doesn't lend himself uh, to that interpretation. Others have suggested that Peter was simply fishing because they needed food to eat as they waited for Jesus. And they just here's the, here's the disciples, they don't have anything to eat. They were poor men. They ministered with Jesus for three years. At the end of it, they had nothing <laughs> to show for it other than empty pockets and the clothing they were wearing. And Peter just said, look, silver or gold, we don't have. And so they're just like, hey, we got to eat. Let's go out and fish. I believe that's exactly what is happening. Augustine put it this way, the apostles were not forbidden to seek their, nece their necessary subsistence by the exercise of their craft, a lawful and permitted one if at any time they had no other means of subsistence. Paul proved that when he made tents in Corinth in Acts chapter 18. Now, just as a side note, those who follow Christ in order to get wealthy should take note of the apostles. They had followed Christ for three years. They were like the poorest men you could find. Left their jobs, left their callings, left their savings accounts behind, left the family business, <laughs> many of them fishermen, some tax collectors, and they follow Jesus. And here you get this incredible portrait. Well, how did their life go after following Jesus or while they were following him? Well, after three years in public ministry with Jesus, watching him as eyewitnesses, what did they have? Nothing. It's just a check to the health and wealth gospel, the wealth gospel that is so often promulgated in America. Hey, follow Jesus, you'll get rich. Follow Jesus and you may die in a cardboard box on a street somewhere and you'll have heaven's riches that you're gonna enter into. Follow Jesus, and after you follow him, you might actually have to go to the lake and catch some fish because you don't have supper. That's where the disciples are. So that night they caught nothing, verse three. They were completely fishless at the end of their work that night. Then comes verse four, and Jesus is gonna use this episode in the lives of his disciples to drive home a point. Just as day was breaking, Jesus was on the shore. Disciples did not yet know it was Jesus. 
He said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. Now, the language of children, we might use the language of lads, guys. You could translate it children as it most often is. I don't think there's anything particularly important in the word for children. But notice Jesus asks them a question which causes us to ask a question. Does Jesus lack information here? Does he ever lack information when he asks questions? No, he knows everything. So why is Jesus asking them if they caught any fish? To drive home the point, to get them to think, we've worked all night. Have we caught any fish? No, we haven't caught a fish all night. Okay. And Jesus is asking them so that they'll stop to think about it. He wants them to think about this for a while. A.W. Pink said, before Jesus furnishes the abundant supply, we must first be made conscious of our emptiness. Before he gives strength, we must be made to feel our weakness. Slow, painfully slow are we to learn this lesson, and slower still to own our nothingness and take the place of helplessness before the mighty one. Before Jesus gives them tons of fish, he wants them to recognize we have zero fish. We worked a long time, caught nothing. This is a perfect opportunity for them to learn a great lesson. So the same Lord then told them, Throw your net on the right side, and you will catch much fish. And they caught 153. Again, the lesson what? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus wants them to be convinced of that. He, does, he didn't say in John 15, 5, and it, it's not recorded in John 21, apart from me, you can do a little bit. You can catch five fish or ten fish, but with me, you can catch more. He said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Zero, zip, nada. Absolutely nothing apart from Christ, as far as Christian ministry goes. This is something the disciples needed to learn. We need to learn it too. We all need to learn it all throughout our lives, so that we depend more on the Lord. Regarding conversions, James Boyce put it this way, those whom we convert may well be lost. Such are not true conversions, but those whom God calls to Christ through us will never be lost. His point being, yeah, we may go out and minister in our own strength, but that's all it is. It's not like genuine heart work. It's not God at work, whether in conversions or in sanctification and growth and help. We need to realize that without Christ, we can do nothing. Jesus drove that point home to his disciples. How many fish have you caught? Nothing. Exactly. Think about that. Let this be a model for you when you go and you preach in your apostolic ministries all throughout Acts. Remember this lesson Without me, you can't do anything. This is my kingdom. I'm the one who builds the church. AKA, uh, attention all believers in Pella, Iowa, at Hope Church, myself included, all of us are in this boat. Without Christ, all of our ministry, we can't do anything. He's the one who builds the church. Jesus is driving this lesson home. So the second thing I want us to notice is the fruitfulness of ministry that comes with the power of Christ, the presence of Christ and obedience to him. So he told them to cast the net on the right side of the boat and they'll find some fish. Now, people have made a lot about the right side of the boat. <laughs> a lot of ink has been spilled. Again, I don't think there's anything particularly important about the right side of the boat. If Jesus had said, cast on the left side of the boat, there would have been as many fish there if Jesus wanted them to be there. The point is, they're going to obey him. They did what he asked uh, them uh, to do. And they brought in tons of fish. The net didn't break. They hadn't yet counted them. 
But John, the writer of the book, who refers to himself always as the beloved disciple, the disciple whom Jesus loved, immediately figured it out. Click, lights go on. It's the Lord. We've been working all night. We throw the net in obedience to this figure on the shore. We get this massive haul of fish. It's got to be Jesus. It's the Lord. Peter, typical Peter, in all of his excitement and gusto, which is wonderful, throws on his outer garment, likely bareback in the boat, doing whatever, throws on his outer garment, jumps in the shore. People say, well, it would have been harder to swim. They were 100 yards offshore. It could have been shallow enough that he could have just been walking along the shore and, and booking it in while they brought the haul of fish. But regardless, uh, Peter completely forgot about the fish. Everybody else kept them <laughs> intact. And Peter rushed to the shore uh, because he wanted to see uh, the Lord. So we have Christ's presence here now which caused them to catch the fish in conjunction with their obedience. And fruitfulness in all Christian ministry require those things, beloved. The presence of Christ and our obedience to him in our work. Let me flush this out. First of all, the presence of Christ. And remember, he's the one who sends the Holy Spirit. So when I talk about the presence of Christ, you can put an equation sign between him and the Holy Spirit because he's the one who's poured out the Holy Spirit in his ascension at Pentecost. I want to touch on a few things, and we'll get into some more details uh, as we roll through here. But regarding evangelism, remember, he talked to the disciples about their role in showing the world where forgiveness of sins could be found. And that is a ministry of the church. And so regarding evangelism, we can view evangelism as it's us fishing it's us going out in our own strength. It's us apart from Christ, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. It's our techniques. It's our abilities. It's our winsomeness. And we can, at the end of our lives, discover that there has been no one saved on account of our work in and of itself, apart from Christ. And we can be assured that anybody who would have come to Christ, if we're the ones who are responsible for converting them, actually never really came to Christ at all, fake conversion. Or we can view ourselves as a seed plant, a seed scatterer, a plant planter, and a plant waterer, like Paul did. And we can view ourselves as those who are indeed involved in the work, but we're simply tools. Christ is the one doing the work. We are the instruments. We are the ones who go out in obedience but if he doesn't show up with his Holy Spirit and give people new hearts, then no conversion will take place. Let me change course here a little bit and talk about Christian ministry. There is ministry to fellow believers, which can become a fruitless task if we begin to think that our efforts are actually going to change people's lives in and of themselves. Oh, Lord, it's me. I've got to try harder. I've got to do more. I've got to come up with better advice. I've got to throw a different Bible verse at them, and then voila, all of a sudden it'll happen because I'm so great. We can view our Christian ministry to other believers that way, or we can realize that ours is the call to use our gifts, but unless Christ shows up with his Holy Spirit and is powerfully at work in the lives of other believers, they won't change at all. And I can't even change myself as we look in the mirror, is what we ought to be saying. Unless the Lord works in me, then all my efforts can amount to basically nothing. So we should be aware, beloved, that in our evangelism and in our service to Christ, we need the presence of Christ. We need the Holy Spirit or nothing 
that is fruitful will be done. But we also need obedience. So when Jesus told the disciples what to do, they actually did it. Did you catch that? Throw the net on the right side of the boat. They didn't. They didn't murmur. They didn't complain. <laughs> they, they might have said, you know, what Peter said in Luke 5. Well, we, we already tried this before. It hasn't worked. But they just did it. And A.W. Pink said, what a lesson for those who seek to serve Jesus. His it is to issue orders, ours to obey, unmurmuringly, unquestioningly, and promptly. And indeed, that's what the disciples did. And they got tons of fish. When it comes, when Jesus comes to speak to us through his word, it's a word that we cannot avoid or do without. It's a word which has power. It's a word which we need to obey, beloved. And he's given us a lot of calls to obedience regarding each of our Christian ministries. Now, here's three things we need to obey for fruitful ministry. I just picked three of them uh, that are substantial, but there's more than this. The command to prayer. If we're to expect any fruit in our ministries, right? Each of us has a work of ministry. We can talk about the church as a whole of which we're a member, and we have a ministry in that, in that whole as a part. We can also talk about our ministries as individuals. If we're to be fruitful in our ministries, in seeing lost come to faith, in seeing our fellow believers growing, if we're to be fruitful in our ministries to other people, then we're going to need to pray. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication, making supplication for all the saints and also for me. It's a lot of prayer. Paul's saying we pray. We pray for ourselves, what we need. We pray for other believers. We pray for those who are on the mission field. We just pray. We're just always a people who are praying. What is prayer? Spurgeon said the one who doesn't pray is indeed a proud person. Someone who's proud thinks, hey, it's my efforts, it's my work. I don't need prayer. That's God's doing. That's like a last resort. And I think if you read through the New Testament, we'll discover that actually prayer is like the first starting point. And if we expect to have fruitful Christian ministries, we'll be those who are busy praying. How many marriages wouldn't benefit from spouses who pray for each other? How many believers wouldn't have radically different lives if we actually spent a considerable amount of time praying for one another, beloved. I want us to think about that. Throw the net on the right side. They threw it in. Pray continually. Are we those who are doing it? The second uh, way we can obey the Lord in our ministry is the command to spread the gospel. The church is an institution which is called to make disciples of all nations, going, baptizing, teaching. It's sometimes been called the great suggestion. That's how we view it as the church. Oh yeah, if I get around to that one, it's actually the great commission. It's a requirement, it's a command for us. We don't all have the same role in this work, but we each have a role. And so if we're not obedient to the great commission, not spreading the gospel as a congregation and doing our role, we should expect that indeed we might see conversions elsewhere, but we would see none because we're not being obedient in that way. And then let me throw a third one out, the command to love one another. Let me just, this is, we could have gone on forever here, but I summarized some things we're commanded to do for each other out of obedience to Christ. These are ministries for each of us. We're commanded to provide encouragement for other believers. We're commanded to bear the burdens of those believers who need help. 
We're commanded to comfort and encourage the downcast. We're commanded to rebuke the stubborn in sin and the unrepentant. We're commanded to love our spouses, to train our children, to live peaceably with all human beings as far as possible, and to be patient toward one another. Now, if we're to expect the Lord's blessing and fruit born out of our ministry, then we've got to be a people who are busy doing this and who are obedient to this. You know, in the culture we live in, it's been different, but in the culture we live in, saying hard things to people is something the culture just doesn't like. Actually, social media is starting to change that a little bit. Now everybody's just going to launch it out there. But very, we have to say things with kid gloves. And what that oftentimes means is you just don't say it. Just don't say it. But in the church, beloved, we're people who speak the truth in love. So there's a loving part to it. We've got to love each other well. We've got to have the best interest of each other in mind, really. Giving people the judgment of charity, being kind and gentle and patient. We've also got to speak the truth. And that's a command Paul gave to the church, to those inside the church. Speak the truth in love. Look, it means we have to say hard things. It's not enjoyable. I don't know of anybody who really enjoys saying hard things. (laughs) I don't. I'm sure most of us would raise our hands and say, yeah, that's hard. It is. But if we want fruitfulness in our ministries, if we want to see other believers grow, then we'll do these hard things. Encouragement, comforting, bearing burdens, loving, being patient. All the glory goes to God for any fruit born by our work. That's the last thing I want us to notice. Did you catch what John said in verse 7? As soon as they hauled in all those fish, what did he say? It's the Lord. Nobody in that boat, well, maybe they thought it, (laughs) but I'm guessing nobody in that boat, and certainly not John, thought, wow, we picked the right side at the right time, totally random, been doing this all night, incredible. As soon as they brought in those fish, it's the Lord. It's got to be. And beloved, that is what we will see. And that ought to be our response when we see any fruit in the lives of other people that we might be ministering to in our own life as we seek to grow or in the conversion of people to come to Christ. Lord, I praise you that I could have been a tool, but that is just your work. That is you. You have showed up. You have done this incredible work. Praise be to your great name. A church which gets that is a church which will be saying, indeed, It is the Lord who has been at work. And then finally, I want us to notice the fullness of ministry and service to Christ. When they got out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place, fish laid out on it, and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you've just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard, hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish, this was the third appearance to his disciples after his resurrection. The disciples have no fish. Jesus has fish and bread and a fire going. Stark contrast. They worked all night. We're not even told Jesus fished. He could just miraculously produce it. And some people have viewed this just as a miracle. Fish, bread, Jesus created them along with the fire. They caught 153 fish. Again, so many analogies, so much allegory has been 
used to describe 153 fish. You can read it. Again, probably two gallons of ink has been spilled, just tons of gallons of ink uh, on this. And I think it's nothing more than if you're a fisherman and you get a big haul, you count them. <laughs> oh yeah, you're gonna count those fish. It's also an eyewitness account. Who would say it's 153 if you didn't know that? Because people are gonna be verifying this or saying it's a lie. But also if you have seven of them and you catch 153, you divide it by seven. Maybe that was the idea. Uh, they're gonna uh, sell some of these fish or at least know how to divide them up. So they caught 153 and Jesus invites them to breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Now, while they were there, no one dared ask, who are you? Because they all knew. They were sure now it's the Lord. And then notice verse 13. This is what I want to camp on a little bit. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. It does not say they all had breakfast together. It says Jesus came and he took the bread and gave it to them. And so with the fish. Now, what is going on here? Jesus was revealing to the disciples that they need to be filled up by him and with him. Jesus is the one who's ministering to his disciples. He's going to restore Peter here soon. But this is in the context of they're about to go public. They're, there's about to be a Pentecost that is going to blow the doors off every Jewish understanding of what the new covenant is. And these guys are going to be at the forefront of those doors being blown off. They're going to be the first ones through the door when that door gets breached. And Jesus knows not just physically they need food, but again, there's a bigger lesson here. Spiritually, they need to be filled up with him. They need to have his fullness inside of them so that they can overflow with him. There are two ways to serve the Lord. You can serve the Lord empty without him, or we can serve the Lord with him in all of his fullness filled up by him. And again, Jesus is revealing himself to his disciples. He's teaching them this lesson. Again, I don't think there's anything disobedient about them fishing without Jesus, but Jesus looks at them fishing on the sea and he makes sure they don't catch a thing. And the same Lord who gave them 153 fish kept their nets empty all night so that he could take this opportunity to teach them. You want to fish? Great. With me, you can do great spiritual work. And filled up with me is what you need to be in order to minister well. And we might ask, how do we fill ourselves up with Christ? We're not on the shore of the Sea of Tiberias, the Sea of Galilee. We're not sitting here just, you know, hungry with our stomachs. We probably had breakfast and we don't need Jesus to give us fish and bread over a campfire. But we do need Jesus in our souls, just like the disciples did. And we need to be filled up with him. How can we do that? Well, how did Jesus fill up his disciples? Did you notice? He was the one serving, wasn't he? He's the one who came. He took the bread. He gave it to them. He's the one doing the serving. They're all just kind of standing around. He prepared the food. He made the fire. He got the fish. He got the bread. Now he's serving them. And they're the ones being served. Almost a portrait of that upper room on Thursday night. So Jesus has taken the form of a servant. This isn't just some side note, but I think it's an integral part of our works in ministry. So here's our examples of serving empty. Have we ever tried to minister to people only to have our mind and heart flooded with thoughts such as these? Why am I wasting my time on these people? If God wants to save them, he will as we're spreading the gospel. This was a waste of my time. Selfishness, right? Pride, feeding itself in. How would you describe that service? We're not full of Christ. We're full of self. Or 
These people are taking way too long to grow in Christ. What's the matter with them? Why aren't they changing faster? This is not a good return on my investment. It's not a good return on my investment. What's happened there? Are we serving out of the fullness of Christ? Are we filled up with him? No, we're filled up with self. And it's possible to arrive at that. I trust you'll see this working in your heart and mind as you serve. I know I see this creeping in when I'm not full of Christ. Selfishness just comes right to the fore. But being filled with Christ looks something like this. Wow, Lord, you have come down here to rescue me. You have slaved and worked for me, someone who is not a good investment. This is what we do to fill ourselves up. I've read of your judgments in the old covenant. I've read of the judgments that are to come, and I realize I deserve that judgment, and you came and were judged in my place. You gave your very life and endured much suffering for my sake. You've been so patient with me, not throwing me aside, but patiently bearing with me and working on me. You gave up the glory of heaven to take my shame upon you and identify yourself with a sinner like me. That is what Jesus has done when he took the form of a servant, beloved. He did that for every single one of us here today who believes, every single one. That is tremendous. That is the Lord of glory serving people like you and me. And it is not an impressive crowd, beloved, if we look ourselves in the mirror. No human beings are. And he comes down here and he takes the form of a servant. And he not only saves us, but he fills us up. That's got to fill our hearts. Lord, you would do this for me. Lord, who am I that you would do this for me? Why would you stoop this low? Why would you care for me in that way? Why do you care where I spend forever? This is amazing. And God does. He cares where we spend forever. So much so he did not withhold his only begotten son. And Jesus came, beloved. Let Jesus minister to your soul. We've got to have our souls minister to our hearts, minister to our lives. It's got to change our minds the way we think. And when it does, not only will we be comforted and encouraged, but here's what will take place. It will entirely change the way we serve. Then no human being will be beneath our dignity to serve. Lord, if you've stooped this low to get all the way down to me, and I know my sin, and I know the motivations of my heart. I know thoughts that I never want printed anywhere in the newspaper. I know the ugliness and the filth that exists inside of me. You stooped all the way down to take that upon yourself and be treated like you did that on the cross. Whoa. No one's beneath my dignity now to serve. I'm part of those who are indeed not servable by worldly standards. Then we won't calculate our return on investment, but we'll work with faith and trust the results to God, even if we don't see any fruit. Imagine God's investment in us. What does he get out of us? Only what he puts in. <laughs> How much has he put in? An infinite amount. How much does he get out? Not an infinite amount, beloved. Beloved, we can sometimes go into the world and say, yeah, I'll love these people if, if what? If they love me back, Gentiles do that too. Lost people do that too. I'll love them if uh, I'll give them a year to come to faith and I'm going to cut bait and run. I'll love them if they don't take a whole lot of time, right? I don't want to be inconvenienced. Look at the cross again, beloved. How inconvenienced was God to save us? It changes everything. Now, we have limits. We're not people who have infinite resources at our disposal. None of us here are Jesus. And so we will run into boundaries and limits all of which are true and good, and we need to figure out what those are. But where our excuses are selfish, filling ourselves up with Christ can remove that selfishness and help us to see clearly, Lord, what is it you've called me to? 
how can I do this with joy? We'll go and we'll serve willingly, even amid pain and suffering. We'll be patient with those who are slow because we'll see that we need a lot of patience. The Lord's ministered to us in patience. And we will serve not for glory, but we will associate with the worst of sinners and remember Jesus' dying, dying love. We will have no problem with being associated with tax collectors and prostitutes and sinners and drunkards and drug addicts or what's the worst category in pill? I don't know what it is. Take your pick. We'll have no problem being associated with those people because our Savior came down here and was called the friend of tax collectors and sinners because that's what I am. I'm a tax collector. I'm a sinner. I'm the addict. I'm the God-hater until redeemed. So how will we serve? Are we going to go out into the world and after a night of no fishing, say, tomorrow night will be better? After a night of no catching anything in our own power and strength, say, maybe next year will be better? Or will we go out into the world and serve, depending on the Lord to work, clinging to prayer, clinging to the Lord in prayer, Obeying him, even if it's hard, even if it grates against our pride. You got this Galilean itinerant preacher rose from the dead telling professional fishermen how to fish. Grates against our pride. Lord, I know better than you do. Ah, but we don't. Are we going to go out into the world and obey and do so trusting that God will work? And when he works, give him all the credit and all the glory then we can expect to have fruitful Christian ministry. And one more point as we close. Fruitful Christian ministry doesn't necessarily mean that we will see the results with our own eyes. We might see the results in heaven. There might be other people on this earth that see the results and we don't get to see them. But ours is the work of service. Ours is the work of ministry. Ours is the work of obeying Christ. Whatever results is to his glory. And if we don't see it, still to his glory and we just be faithful. Let's, let's pray.